You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is the Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is the countdown to the Indigenous Partnership Success Showcase happening this June, plus healthcare in BC and fresh updates on the Alberta election. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. Good morning, my Karen. Now, Margaret, you've mentioned it before on previous episodes, but would you mind giving us a recap of what your event in June is about? That's right. We started this event, the Indigenous Partnership Success Showcase, or IPS as we call it internally. It's a little bit of a mouthful, over four years ago. And initially, we sought out to answer what the implementation of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Uh, which was developed decades ago uh, and brought into B.C. law in 2019, we wanted to understand what that would entail exactly and what impacts it would have on things like business relationships, policy, and getting major projects, principally natural resources built. Uh, Of course, ResourceWorks is uh, an organization that's focused on natural resources, but over the last uh, 5, 10 years, well, it's been really, really important to develop close relationships with uh, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities, mostly First Nations. We are in B.C., but uh, it's been a very, very big part of our work, and we wanted to do an event to talk just about that one issue, and then very quickly we realized there was a whole lot more to say on the topic. Of course, implementation of UNDRIP is by no means complete, uh, but in BC especially, which was the first jurisdiction to bring these principles into law, it was then followed by the federal government, there have been some material issues where the uh, DRIPA, the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act, has driven an outcome or decision of government, uh, and that's definitely popped up in our agenda as the issues evolved, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that shortly. Uh, this June, June 1st and 2nd, we're actually going to be gathering at the Vancouver Convention Center to really dive into what these industry-indigenous partnerships look like across sectors, uh, beyond just natural resources, which were our, uh, our start for the event. And reconciliation as a topic is sweeping society. Corporate Canada, of course, uh, wants to align itself to the priorities of communities, both because it's the uh, key to being a responsible corporate actor these days. Uh, there, there's reputation to, to maintain, and there's also um, employee morale and people being able to take pride in the relationships that they have and the company that they work with. So that's a big driver. But it's also really good for business, and it really improves investor, investor certainty when there are robust relationships with nations, uh, particularly in businesses where there's a lot of work happening on land and about land. Uh, where there are uh, evolving and increasing decision-making uh, powers and authorities by First Nations, uh, Métis, and Inuit communities. Uh, this year's theme, uh, it's threefold, purpose, relationships, vision. We want to dive into the purpose for why Canada is pursuing economic reconciliation. There continues to be a really big gap that needs to be bridged. We're talking about relationships as the mechanism that enables a uh, majority of Canadian society to participate. Uh, of course, Indigenous communities uh, are an integral part of uh, the, the way our nation, uh, jurisdiction, everything is, is, is set up, uh, but they're actually a fairly small minority of the overall population. Um, so a lot of Canadians want to know what they can do. A lot of companies and businesses want to know, and relationships are a way to, to get there to support nations in, in their vision, and that's our final theme for this year, really articulating what being reconciled could look like as we work towards it. Um, and we live in a time of events, social and cultural change, um, so we're really trying to create an opportunity for people from all walks of life to share what they're working on, uh, how they're doing it together, and we're going to have a lot of duets, a lot of dialogue, and sharing of examples from specific mm-hmm. And what kinds of topics is your team bringing to the stage this year? 
Well, coming back to UNDRIP for a second, um, we saw something really interesting last couple of years. The provincial government uh, decided not to appeal a legal decision, um, uh, which occurred in BC Supreme Court, that the treaty, night, uh, treaty rights of the Blueberry River First Nations in the northeast of British Columbia had been violated uh, due to the cumulative uh, impacts of industrial development. And uh, actually, in year one, we had representatives of the Blue River First Nations on our stage as the court case was just coming up. And then last year, after the court case wrapped up, newly elected Chief Judy Desjardins uh, returned to talk about the principles that they were putting in, into place in, in discussions with the province. Um, and agreements have now been wrapped up there. There have been impacts on other treaty eight nations. Uh, we're going to have a dialogue on this year's stage about the Doig River First Nations and uh, their vision for uh, development in the post-Yehi court case era. So that's going to be really, really interesting to watch. Uh, I think overall the real results will matter. Still years away, there's uh, going to be a lot of work uh, overall as courts deal with new uh, legal arguments that rely on under mechanisms. Um, but we'll be hearing uh, not only from oil and gas, uh, which is a lot of where the action and discussion around the northeast of the province has been lately, uh, but also digital telecommunications tell us as a sponsor once more. We're going to have a dialogue in the Squamish language on the Sears stage. Uh, lots of finance interest and involvement. We'll be talking about capitalizing Indigenous business. We'll be chatting a fair bit about building trust with communities, uh, both uh, banking and financial services. Uh, there's going to be quite a bit of interest in trade, international trade in particular, and it is uh, trade commissioner to Singapore is going to be on our stage. Uh, she's a Métis woman herself and has spent years and years in the civil service as a wealth of experience to share about the work Canada is doing on export development. Uh, we'll be talking about land development as well. Lots of developers like BD are really interested in uh, making a firm uh, stance and making clear to communities that they prioritize reconciliation and close relationships with First Nations. So we'll be having a wonderful dialogue with a number of youth leaders from across the country, uh, entrepreneurs and uh, uh, advocates and uh, young professionals who are going to be making a real impact in the decades to come. And then finally, we'll also be hearing from National Chief, the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald. Uh, event City sponsoring that conversation, and I'm really excited about it. There's been a lot of work that the AFN has been leading uh, in recent years and months, uh, some of it in relation to under implementation federally, so we're excited to tap into that. Um, but overall, I, I'd say many of the industries we have represented, all of them are foundational to our national prosperity as a country and indeed our ability to enjoy services like healthcare, which I know we wanted to talk about today. That's right, Margareta. Let's get into that a bit. What are you seeing and hearing these days? Well, you know, this may sound a little bit doom and gloom, but I'm not really sure how any reasonable person could say that with over one-third of the population in British Columbia not having a family doctor, general practitioner, or a nurse practitioner, uh, I'm not sure you could say that isn't a sign of near collapse in the healthcare system. Uh, and everyone's been talking about this. You know, if you, if you have someone that you go to who writes prescriptions for you and gets you referrals to specialists on a regular basis, you know, count your lucky stars. Being able to access that as a basic medical service is a human right. Uh, it should be treated as one. Uh, and yet it seems to be very, very challenging to access for a huge number of people, including those with chronic conditions. And uh, I've been thinking about this topic a lot. I've uh, been, uh, you know, despite having a master's in uh, public policy and uh, a wealth of uh, experience uh, dealing with very complex systems, I find it really, really hard to navigate the healthcare system. And I can only imagine that uh, many, many people find it equally, if not much more challenging. 
Um, I found myself at urgent care the other day uh, waiting for about four hours trying to get a prescription refilled. I'd run out. I spent four weeks trying to get a telehealth appointment. Um, you know, that's just one example. Um, I'm not in, you know, excruciating discomfort, mostly horrible inconvenience more than anything else, but there's people who are waiting for weeks and months and even years for essential life-saving surgeries and procedures, and that's just not acceptable. And uh, we do need to be having a conversation about what is reasonable to expect. Uh, you know, we, we live in a very uh, wealthy and uh, seemingly functional society. Uh, our population is an aging one because we've been able to create such a great quality of life for so many people, uh, and that does create really, really intense costs that everyone has to bear collectively if we want to have these kinds of outcomes. We should be having a conversation about that, but the expectations as they are right now are not being met. And we need to be thinking about innovative solutions that enable more people to have their basic health care needs met. And I'm looking forward to chatting more about that on future shows. Oh, certainly, Margaret. And one more thing. The provincial election in Alberta is now underway. If you had to guess, what will it come down to? Yeah, it's a real interesting one. Incumbent Premier Danielle Smith, the leader of the United Conservative Party, uh, of course she became leader not too long ago, uh, is actually facing off against Rachel Notley, the Alberta New Democratic Party leader and former Premier herself. And each of them has had a pretty complex, dynamic saga as a political leader. There's a number of interesting profiles that I've seen in both of them. They're controversial in their own ways. You know, um, Danielle was uh, uh, an MLA with the uh, Wild Rose Party, or uh, that uh, was merged into the Conservatives and became the UCP. Um, and uh, Rachel has uh, really transformed as a political leader over the years. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting saga. It's two women, um, you know, in a dead heat, according to recent polling. And it's really going to come down to, uh, I'd say, two things, good organizing uh, and also higher-level policy concerns from voters. And the organizing piece, you know, how well you can reach voters, get people out to vote on Election Day and in the lead-in to Election Day, that accounts for about 5% of a swing. But in really, really tight races where you have good local candidates running and voters are really, really split, um, that can really make quite an impact. And being well-funded also counts for a lot. Uh, we saw over the last couple of months that the Alberta NDP really out the UCP. That doesn't necessarily you know, guarantee a victory, but it doesn't mean that their local operations have a little bit more cash to play with. Um, and now for some political analysis on the policy piece, or really just you know, reading the room, affordability worries reign supreme right now. Voters across the country, not just in Alberta, are thinking about their family's economic well-being, and they're looking to political decision-makers like Nodley and Smith. <laughs> and they're assessing them on the basis of both their records as decision-makers and how trustworthy they think they are, whether they are trustworthy enough to deliver on promised solutions to intensifying problems with affordability. Everyone says they have something to deliver. You know, it'll really be up to voters to see who, who they believe is, is going to do it. Um, and I'd say one more thing, uh, you know, the energy sector in Alberta is really key. Um, there's a tremendous amount of positioning uh, or counter-positioning happening relative to the federal liberals, which admittedly are not as popular in Alberta. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch, and I'm excited to report on it as the election rolls out. May 29th will be election day, so you'll hear from me about that a couple of times more uh, over the next few weeks. Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to how that is going to end up. Margaret, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. Have a wonderful Fantastic. weekend. You too.